Amen. Thanks, y'all. Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, great to see you this morning. Uh, my name's Luke. I'm one of the pastors and part of our preaching team. And um, we're a couple weeks into this uh, new year. Hope it's going well for you. My question as we begin today is on a scale of one to 10, don't overthink this, just first number that pops in your mind, scale of one to 10, how stressed are you? And I don't mean just this moment, like just in general, scale of one to 10, how stressed are you? You maybe have a number in your head. You know, if you want to feel stressed, here's a recommendation is read the American Psychological Association's press releases about stress, and uh, that will make you feel stressed. You'll find out uh, things like this, that there are 143 countries that were surveyed where they asked people, you know, is, is stress a significant factor in your everyday life? And in the 143 countries, uh, 35% of people globally said, yes, I'm stressed, I don't know if that seems higher than you'd think or lower than you'd think. Uh, If you go up 20% to 55%, now you're at America. All right, so Americans answered the question that 55% of us said that, you know, yeah, I'm significantly stressed. If you want to live in the least stressed state in the country, uh, they say you should move to Montana. I could have told you that. That's not very difficult, but it's a little trickier when you think through what's the most stressed state? What's the highest stressed state? You might think New York, you might think California with all the you know, traffic, you might think, but you'd be wrong. The answer is Louisiana. They say Louisiana is the most stressed state, which who knew, you know? All right, so you have your number, one out of 10. Uh, they, asked, uh, they asked people, they asked men and women to this question, on a scale of one to 10, rate your stress. Uh, men, on average, reported back the number between one and 10 of 4.4. Women said 5.1. And so women are more stressed than men. I assume that's because they're carrying all the stress that their husbands don't feel, and they're taking it on themselves. Uh, but um, m- maybe that's the case. When they rated it by age, this was pretty interesting. Uh, older adults, folks older than boomers, uh, on average, scale of 1 to 10, how stressed are you, said 3.3. Baby boomers said 4.0. Gen X said 5.2. Millennials said 5.6. Gen Z said 6.1. That's interesting. Now, some of that makes sense, right? When you're in the hustle and bustle of life and you're trying to prove yourself and there's a lot of stuff going on, I mean, that in, in a sense does feel more stressful perhaps. Um, when they asked people in 2017, what are the, the things in life that you're most stressed about? 64% said the number one thing, money. The number one thing people were stressed about was money. Then it was work, then the economy, then, then family responsibilities, then personal health problems. In 2020, they asked people, what are you stressed about? And not just 64% of people saying money, but 87% of people said that they were stressed about the growing cost of everything, which is another way of saying they were stressed about money. So isn't that interesting? We live in one of the most stressed countries and one of the biggest stressors in our lives is money. And that's the, what the series is about. And I don't know if you're feeling stressed, but uh, just, to, just to help you de-stress a little bit, let's stand up together. Let's stand up, wiggle your, no, I'm not kidding, come on, get up, get up, wiggle your, wiggle your fingers, wiggle your toes, shake it out a little bit. Let's take, let's take some deep breaths here together. Inhale, exhale. All right, Ooh, that felt good. Let's do that again. Exhale, all right, sit down. But I just wanted to, I didn't want all my stats to stress you out. I just wanted you to relax. 
And uh, we're in our second week of this series that we're calling Rich Toward God. And it's basically looking at what Jesus had to say related to money. We're looking at a few different paragraphs, uh, just in sequential order, in Luke chapter 12. That's what we're looking at. And this whole series really is about trying to have a healthier relationship with money. It's not about any one particular financial habit, but it's about just an overall better relationship with money. Money is a huge part of our lives. Money is obviously a huge area of stress. And money, according to Jesus, is one of the main rivals to God. He said that, you know, you cannot serve God and money. He didn't say you cannot serve God and Satan. He said you cannot serve God and money. And therefore, this is a really significant issue. And the, the whole thing started last week in the story that we looked at where a man came to Jesus and said, hey, can you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? And Jesus said, listen, I'm not getting into family disputes. Uh, and he goes into this teaching about covetousness, about greed, about this thirst for more, 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 more. And so the big idea last week was that we should be on guard against greed because life's about God not possessions. I told you last week that we want to live for the, the line, not the dot. We did this as an example that, that our life is like this dot. It's like this uh, circle where at most maybe it lasts 75, 85, 95, maybe 100 years, but it's, that's this life. And instead of living for just this life, we need to live for eternity. We need to live for the line, and depending on where your treasure is, if your treasure is here in this life, then when you die, you're going to be getting away from your treasure. On the other hand, if your treasure is God and eternity, then when you die, you're going to be getting closer to your treasure. And that's how Jesus starts his whole teaching about money is he says, listen, you got to decide what kind of treasure do you want? Do you mostly want to live for the treasure of here and now? Or do you want to live for treasure that lasts forever? Do you want to be rich toward God? or just rich with stuff. And so that's what he looked at, that's what we looked at last week. Now it raises this question for us, is how do you know if you're rich toward God? You're okay, I'm in, I wanna be rich toward God. How do you know if you are? And here's the answer, you're less stressed about money. Your stress about money is an inverse relationship to your richness toward God. The richer you are in your relationship with God, the less you're going to stress about money. The poorer you are in your relationship with God, the more you're going to stress about money. And uh, that's not exactly what we think of it, right? I, I was telling Molly uh, this weekend, she said, hey, what are you preaching about this weekend? And I said, well, my message is called how to stop stressing about money. She goes, well, that's easy. Just make more. <laughs> She's like, that'll be a short sermon. And uh, I said, well, it will not be a short sermon, honey. You know me better than that. And, um, and no, that's not, I mean, now listen, to some degree, that's exactly right, right? This is why having margin is important financially, right? The more margin you have, uh, the, the more freedom you have, probably in many cases, the less stress you have. But the reality is having a lot of money doesn't necessarily just fix it, right? What we looked at last week, the guy had this bumper crop and he was still stressed. What should I do about this? I quoted last week all the richest people throughout the history of America saying, I had all this money and it was mo money, mo problems, like none of this made me happy and all of this made me stressful, stressed. So, so more money doesn't necessarily equal, equal low stress about money, but rather a rich relationship with God means you're going to stress less. So that's what we're going to talk about today is how to stop stressing about money. Now, to give you a sense of where we're going, we're going to look at, from this text, from Luke 12, we're going to look at one big command. We're going to look at five compelling reasons to follow this command. And then we're going to look at three unpopular habits, 
Three things that if you did them would actually set you free from stressing about money, but you're probably not going to do them. So I guess we'll see when we get there. But that's what we're going to look at. All right? You with me? All right, let's pray. Lord, we want to be rich toward you. We want our uh, relationship with you to flourish and be strong and to give us such a peace and a confidence that we would stress less about money. Uh, Lord, would you help us with that? And would you use these words of Jesus to help us to see your heart and to see your care for us, to see your affection? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first we're going to look at one big command. There's one big command in this passage, and it's communicated through a few different uh, words that give the same idea. Uh, it begins in verse 22. Jesus said to his disciples, so he's been teaching in front of the whole crowd. Now he's teaching to his disciples. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Do not be anxious. That's the first command, the first way that he describes this. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. So what's the one big command? Well, it's said a few different ways, right? Do not be anxious. Uh, do not be worried. Do not fear. And I love that th there's this uh, little flock. Right? This is not God going, come on, idiot. He's going, hey, Jesus is going, hey, little flock. Like, I, I know, I know your frame. I know how hard it is. And I just want to encourage you, don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Don't be afraid. Now, here's something that's really important to say. When Jesus here is talking about don't be anxious, he's not talking about many of the kinds of anxiety-related disorders that we're familiar with today. He's not talking about a generalized anxiety disorder. He's not talking about panic attacks. He's not talking about social anxiety. He's not talking about post-traumatic stress. He's not talking about OCD or separation anxiety. He's not talking about those kinds of things that are often triggered by traumatic events or by, you know, an ongoing kind of physiological problem. That's not really what he's, that's not what he's talking about. The, the simple way to say it when he says, don't be anxious, don't be worried, don't be afraid. Here's the simple way to say it. Stop stressing. Now, the, all those anxiety disorders are unchosen. They're involuntary. And unfortunately, passages like this often get kind of weaponized. Like, hey, snap out of it. You're anxious, just stop. It's not quite that easy. But, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus here is talking about an anxiety that's voluntary, that's chosen. Now, we so often choose it that it becomes habitual. So it might actually feel to you like your stress about money is not chosen and it isn't voluntary. And I just want to tell you, maybe it's just that it's habitual. 
Maybe you've decided to keep stressing about it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And now it's so normal that you can't stop, but it's not because you actually couldn't stop. It's because you just aren't stopping. One big command, don't stress about money. So what we are is we're like, uh, we're like cows chewing the cud. Are you familiar with cows and their digestive system? This is kind of an interesting thing. Cows have four stomachs, right? They eat the grass and then they chew it up and it goes into their first stomach and then they you know, spit it up and they chew the cud for a little while and then they swallow it and it goes into their second stomach. And then here it comes and they do it again, right? When you see a cow and they're chewing the cud, that's what's going on. It's this process called rumination. It's bringing it back up and chewing on it some more, bringing it back up, chewing on it some more, bringing it back up, chewing on it some more. And here's what I want to tell you. A lot of us are stressed because that's how we handle money. We, we just bring it up and worry about it. We bring it up and stress about it. We worry about it and freak about it. We bring it up, we bring it up, bring it up, it's, and it's going over and over. We're just spinning really, really fast. And it might feel at this point like it's involuntary. And I just want to say, maybe it's just habitual. Here's how one person described it, is worry is praying to yourself. Stressing, worrying to yourself. And this was the problem that Jesus encountered with the man that we looked at last week. This man that looked last week that, that you know, he had all this bumper crop and he said, I'm going to build a bigger barn. And it was all I, I, me, me, my, my. And his problem was, it was like he was doing life without God. And here's what Jesus is saying is Jesus is saying, hey, don't do life without God. If you're rich toward God, you're not going to have to be so worried. But if you're living without God, if you're in a kind of functional atheism then you're going to stress, you're going to, you're going to fret, you're going to spin, you're going to ruminate. You're going to keep stressing about this. So, so you might go, okay, okay, that's the command. Stop stressing about money. How? How? And we're going to get to how. First, I want to show you why. Jesus gives you five reasons in this text. And I actually think they're pretty good reasons that, that, are, part of the, that are part of the how. But first, you guys should understand his heart. So here's five compelling reasons. If we go back to the beginning, you see at the beginning of this text is the first reason. He said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For, here's the first reason, life is more than food. Life is more than money. You know this. You know that life's about your relationship with God. You know that life's about your relationship with other people. You know that life is about the character and the, and the qualities that you cultivate. You know that life is about the experiences that you share with other folks. You know this sort of stuff. There's more to life than money. Jesus is saying, hey, there's more to life than money. That's the first reason you shouldn't fret about this. I mean, really, if you want to fret about stuff, fret about your holiness. If you want to fret, if you want to worry, if you want to spin up, spin up about how you can be more loving, more patient and more forgiving. But don't worry about this. This isn't, this isn't the most important stuff. It's what he said last week. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. So that's the first reason there's more to life than money. The second reason is that you matter way more than dirty, rotten, nasty birds. And God still takes care of them. Verse 24. Here's the second reason. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Here's one of the things I love about this is in, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, there's a similar teaching. And in Matthew, Matthew records it as Jesus saying, uh, consider the birds. Luke records it, do you see it? As consider the ravens. 
Now, why is that significant? Because the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus both specify that the raven was an unclean bird. In, in, in the Israelite ceremonial law, the, the raven was unclean. So, right, this is like nasty, dirty, like city pigeons. That's what Jesus is saying, right? Like Jesus is saying, listen, here's why you don't need to stress about money because God takes care of those nasty, like sewer birds, the ravens. And then he says, how much more valuable are you than they? Right, like this is, a, this is to be a comparison of like, this is, this is small and this is great. This is small, this is big. This is little, this is mighty, right? This is a big difference. Uh, when I was in uh, seminary, I took this class. I, I, my first part of seminary went to Reformed Theological Seminary, which was based in the South. And there was this good old boy uh, who was a professor. And I really liked him. I mean, I got so much out of his class. But he just had a real thick accent. And he would teach through the gospel, Knox Chamberlain. And he was a good old boy. And he would teach through the Bible. And I just loved it. And I loved his voice. Um, and, I, and I just remember when he would get to these passages, he'd say, now you got to understand there's a principle in the Hebrew and it goes like this. It's Calvahomer. Calvahomer. And I'm like, I'm in, man. What's Calvahomer? You know, <laughs> well, well, Calvahomer is this Hebrew way of describing the comparison between something that's small and something that's big, something that's light and something that's heavy. And that's what Jesus is doing here. This is Calvahomer. <laughs> How much more, right? These dirty, rotten raven birds, they're nothing. You're something. You're made in the image of God. You're a child of the Father if you're in Christ. Calvahomer. Of how much more worth are you? Tons. Now, we don't live like that. I saw this poem. I'm not sure who wrote it, but it gets at the heart of this. Said the robin to the raven, I should really like to know why the anxious humans rush and worry so. Said the raven to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Can you imagine being a bird watching us? What's wrong with them? Like, man, they, they need somebody to look out for them. And this is what Jesus is saying. He is looking out for you. All right, and then he goes and he talks about the, he talks about the grass. He says, uh, he says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. He says, but if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow sown into the fire in the oven, Calva Homer. How much more will he clothe you? Isn't it interesting? Grass is like the number one description in the Bible for things that are here today and gone tomorrow, that are light, that are temporary, that are not that important. And he's saying God does an unbelievable job taking care of the grass. He's going to take care of you. He's going to give you what you need. Now, here's, here's the thing that we got to understand. The promise is that he's going to give you what you need. Not necessarily that he's going to give you what you want. And so we got to, here's a question I want you to wrestle through. Maybe individually, maybe talk about this in your RCs this week. Maybe talk about this on the way home. This is worth writing down if you're a note taker. Think about this question. What if God agreed to meet your needs, but not to sustain your lifestyle? What if God agreed to meet your needs, but not to sustain your lifestyle? 
So oftentimes, lots of our stress is not about our actual needs being unmet. It's about our lifestyle not being sustained the way we want. And this is the promise. You matter way more than nasty birds. God takes care of them. All right, here's a third reason. Back in verse 25. Back in verse 25, here's a, another reason. Is uh, that it just doesn't work. <laughs> Look at this. Number three. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Answer? Nobody, <laughs> you can't, right? I have, I have one child, I won't tell you who, because uh, it will embarrass her if she knew, but she uh, came to me once when she was little. She said, Dad, I think I want to play basketball. I said, really, that's cool, why? She said, well, I've noticed all the people who play basketball are tall, and I'd like to be tall. So I want to play basketball so that I can get tall. I said, honey, bless your heart. Like, uh, you have my genes, you're not going to be tall, and you're not going to, be a very good basketball player, but we, but that's not how, right? I didn't explain, that's not how it works. And here's what I'm going to tell you, like, like worrying about money does as much good as playing basketball in order to get tall. None. It doesn't do any good. That's what Jesus says. It, which of you, this doesn't work, right? Think about it. You've been stressed. You've been worried about money for decades. Is it getting better? Is it working? Are you feeling better? No, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't help you. All right, here's a fourth reason. We got to go to verse 30. In verse 30, we get a fourth reason. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. The fourth reason is it just makes you like the rest of the world. Do you want to be like the rest of the world? Do you want to be like the rest of the world that has no trust in God, that has no confidence in God, that just is seeking and pursuing and all these different things? No, you don't want to be like that. You want to be a child of the Father. Many of you, you're engaged in foster care and, uh, or, or you've adopted. And you know when you're in that situation, especially if you get some kids that are a little bit older, right? When they've, when they've been in a situation where they haven't been provided for and they haven't been cared for and they've had to be on their own, you get them in your home. And one of the things you notice is that these kids um, who are in many ways like truly orphans start acting like orphans. And they start, like they hoard food, they hide stuff, they store it up. Because they're not confident, and, and by their life experience, they shouldn't be confident that like, things are going to get better, that they're going to be provided for. And so they have to look out for themselves, and so they do. And one of the things you have this, this challenge as a foster parent is to try to convince them, like, hey, you're going to be okay. We're going to take care of you. you. You don't have to do that. And, and, and this is what's going on is, is Jesus is saying, hey, don't think like an orphan. Look at what he says. He says, the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. I love that he doesn't just say, God knows that you need them. But he says, your father knows. He puts it in that kind of relationship. Your father knows that you need this stuff. One of the ways that God introduces himself, in Genesis 22, God calls himself Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. Usually it's described as that it means the Lord will provide. That's a good translation. Here's, a, here's an even more specific literal translation of Jehovah Jireh is God will see to it. God will see to it. And I like that. God will see to it. He's not just going to provide in a general way, but he's on it, right? It was on your to-do list. It was there for you to worry about. It was there for you to handle. And then you said, you know what, God, I'm going to put it on your to-do list and God will see to it. God will take care of it. God's going, I'm on it. Don't worry. 
Trust me, I, I, I'm on it. I'll see to it. And you go, well, how do we know that he's going to see to it? Here's how we know. Because when we were at our absolute poorest before him, in order to bring us into relationship with him, Jesus moved into the neighborhood, lived as a poor Galilean woodworker. And he obeyed the father, even when it cost him, even it was difficult, right? And Jesus' obedience, this is pretty incredible to think about. Jesus' obedience actually earned, I mean, it, it, it merits favor before God because he didn't have any sin, right? Our good, we do good work, good work, good work, good work. Good work. It doesn't do anything because our debt of sin is so deep. It could never get us in the black. But Jesus, his righteousness, his obedience, his holiness, it counted and then on the cross, Jesus goes to the cross and dies naked, a criminal's death, like stripped of everything. Even the clothes off his back were gone. I mean, that's as poor as you can be. And he is absolutely poor so that we can have true riches. That's what happens in the gospel. That's what happens in the cross of Jesus Christ is we go from being totally poor, totally in the hole to having all of his righteousness and having the love of the Father. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, if he didn't spare his own son, how will he not also give us all things? He's going to give us what you need. You can trust him. Don't think like all the other nations. Your father knows what you need. And then here's the last reason. It's in verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is God's pleasure. This is your father's delight. He wants to give you himself. He wants to give you his presence. He wants to give you his holiness. He wants to give you everything that you actually need, all the true riches you could ever have. He wants to give that to you. It's his good pleasure. It's his delight. Some of you had the great privilege of getting to give gifts to little kids for Christmas, didn't you? Right? You gave them to your kids or to your grandkids or to your nieces and nephews or to your good friends who treat you like nieces and nephews, and you got to give them that present. All right? And when, when you gave them that bike, did you stand there with your arms crossed and go, fine, take the bike? No, you didn't. I talked to one grandpa. He said, we got up early. We got on our Christmas PJs. We drove over there. You know, we were there as the kids came down the stairs. And they saw their gifts, and it was just the best. Right? Listen. Kyle Homer. If that's how you treat your kids and grandkids and your nieces and nephews, and the kids, like, you delight to give them what you give them. How much more does God delight to give you the best thing in the world, his, his kingdom? So that's why. That's, th those are the compelling reasons. Five compelling reasons why. Now, that leads us into three unpopular habits. And I got some good news and I got some bad news, all right? The good news is, is what Jesus is gonna share here today, if you follow it, you can, you can break free from stressing about money. You can start trusting God's heart. Now, the bad news is, you probably won't do it. Uh, because it's gonna require some habits from you that are incredibly countercultural and that are really difficult. But you can do it. And here's what I tell you. If you have the spirit of God, you can do this. This is doable. Christians have done it through the centuries. And these habits are going to help you be set free. Three unpopular habits. The first one, we've got to go back to uh, verse 24. And we're going to change our color here. Let's go with this. All right. The first one is we have to consider. 
Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. Consider, consider, consider. It said uh, later on, a few verses later, consider the lilies. Consider, the word means this. It means to notice, to observe, to look at in a reflective manner, to contemplate. And I don't think Jesus is going, hey, think about the birds. I think he actually is saying, stop. Look at, notice, pay attention to, spend some time watching the birds. Watch them. Watch the flowers, watch the grass. Now, this is incredibly difficult in our world because we don't stop for anything. But if you want to experience less stress relates to money, stop and notice how God takes care of his world. Pay attention to it. So interesting right now. There's just so much uh, being written about, uh, podcasts, articles, newsletters, Twitter threads, every kind of thing, uh, apps about mindfulness. Right? What we've learned is that one of the ways we reduce stress is through mindfulness, that, that this, this idea of mindfulness, of, of being present in your location, like realizing actually sitting there, feeling your toes wiggle on the ground, noticing the world around you, being present to your physical body in the physical space at the moment you're there. It's, it's this idea of, of being present, being mindful. Can I tell you something? Jesus was onto that 2,000 years ago. That's what he's saying. You're stressed out about this? Here you go. Be mindful. Consider. It's another way to say it. Look at the ravens. Pay attention. Now, now here's, here's why this gets real hard. When might you do this kind of thing? When would you ever, in the hustle and bustle of your life, I mean, when would you ever stop and watch the birds? Well, God actually created the universe in such a way and commands and encourages his people in such a way that actually if you're living in line with God's creation, you would be doing this at least every week, one day. It's called the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath, right? The Sabbath is the day where you stop. The Sabbath is the day where you no longer strive. The Sabbath is the day where you, you know, put your phone away and, and turn off your notifications and, and spend some time just enjoying God and enjoying his world and enjoying relationships. That's what the Sabbath is supposed to be. So now, now this is really hard because none of us practice that. You could. I hope you will. It's been one of the most life-giving things. I don't have time to talk about back in 2013 how I was kind of on this edge of burnout and I was realizing, man, I'm not, I'm, I'm too young to be this stressed out. And the big thing that, that gave me life again was Sabbath. You want to talk about that sometime? I'll tell you more of that story. But I'm just telling you, this is available to you. It's available to me. It's available to us. Stop. Consider. Rest. I hope you'll consider it. I hope you'll do it. Here's the second unpopular habit. We find this in verse 31. In verse 31, it says, instead, seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. The second unpopular habit is to seek. This word seek means to look for, to desire, to try to get. One of the things that I love about this is that Jesus is not saying that the Christian life is a passive thing, but actually the Christian life is an active thing. It's just pursuing something different. Rather than being stressed, rather than worrying about all these things of the world, he's saying, I want your, your attention, your seeking, your focus to be on me. Here's how you could say it, right? Earlier we said, worry is praying to yourself. What if we said this? Worry is praying to yourself. Prayer is worrying to God. 
And you go, that doesn't sound right. I shouldn't worry to God. Yeah, you should. 1 Peter 5 says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You absolutely should worry toward God. Have you read the Psalms? That's what they are. It's a worry book. But the worry is toward God, right? And so when we talk about seeking, this is, this is the habit of prayer, right? If considering is the habit of Sabbath, this is the habit of prayer. Having a regular part of your life be the spiritual breathing of prayer, where you're breathing in God's word and you're breathing out prayer. You're pursuing him. You're talking to him. You're worrying in his direction. You're trusting him. And not just when you're in trouble, but as a regular pattern, a regular habit, a regular rhythm of life where you say, Lord, I don't know. Will you take it? Will you be Jehovah Jireh? Will you be the God who sees to it? Here you go, God. That's the second habit. Here's the third habit. It's in verse 33. It's the habit of generosity. You got to sell some stuff and you got to give some stuff away. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Sell your possessions, give to the needy. Get rid of some stuff. Jesus is saying, you know why you're so stressed about all your stuff? Because you have too much. So go through your closet, get rid of some of it. Go through your garage, get rid of some of it. Look at your house and go, this is too much. Get rid of some of it. Get a new one maybe. Right, go through your books. Get rid of them. No, don't bring them here, okay? Don't give them to me. You're like, Luke, I know you read. I don't read all the books you don't want, right? If you have a book you read and you actually liked it and you want to give it to me, great, I'll read it. If you want to haul your junk over here, I'm not interested, I don't want, no, don't bring me your books. Don't bring me your citrus. Uh, listen, don't make your problem my problem. I, I'm not interested in that. Like, I'm going to throw it away, okay? I don't need your lemons. If you, now, listen, if you want to ask, Luke, we've got lemons. Would you like some? You can ask me, but don't haul your crap over here and give it to me. I don't want it, okay? But get rid of some stuff. And how about this? How about you don't just get rid of your junk, but you actually give some of your best stuff. Right? That's the idea of giving. Right? Giving is not like, hey, I'm just going through my old socks. Where do I take these? This is saying, hey, give. And, and if you look at the, the principle of generosity throughout the scriptures, you realize that because, because you actually have the true riches because of Jesus' death for you, that now money is just money. You don't live for it anymore. And so you give it away. And it's this thing you're eager to do and you're excited to do. And you're eager to give away your first fruits. And so this is, this is the practice of generosity. We have the practice of Sabbath, the practice of prayer, the practice of the habit of, of generosity. And this is what I want for you. Right? I, I just... I, I, before God, I mean, everything I'm saying is before God, okay? I know I'm going to give an account, but like as, as much as I can say it to you, this is why I want you to give. Give to our church, give beyond our church. You have other ministries, you have other things, right? A good portion of our budget does a lot of different things that proactively and responsively help the poor, but give beyond our church also. I just, here's why I want this for you. I, I want you to be set free. Think about this. If, if the worry is this clutching onto money, clutching onto possessions, clutching onto stuff, how do you loosen the grip? Give it away. Give it away. This, right, some of you, you're very concerned about the consumerism in the world and the consumerism in the church and the consumerism in your heart. You know how you fight it? Give. You're worried about the greed. You're worried about things that give. 
Now, Sabbath, prayer, generosity. This is what I told you. This will work. This will totally work. You won't do it, but it will work. But a few of you will do it. A few of you are doing it, and you can come up here and give testimonies about the freedom that it's created in your life. I just want to tell you, this is possible. But here's what I'll tell you. If you do this stuff once, it won't make much difference. If you do it sporadically, it might help a little. But if you do this as a regular way of life, I'm going to tell you, it will change everything. And instead of money being this thing that's always painful and always difficult and always stressful and always, money will just turn into money. Because you'll go, you know what? I got the thing that's actually the real thing. And, And I have the Lord. He's enough. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your guidance and your instructions. And, and Lord, we know ourselves. We know that these kind of habits are, they're hard to do. And they're especially hard in this day, in this age, this culture. And so God, we ask for your help, for your guidance. We ask that you would give us the ability uh, to trust you, to see you as a good heavenly father, to know that uh, however much you take care of even the grimiest parts of your creation, how much more you'll take care of us. So Lord, we love you and we want to trust you with everything. Pray in Jesus' name.